We started a new sermon series last week called Nehemiah for the city. If you weren't here and you missed the introductory sermon which Pierre gave, please go and listen to that. He gave just a broad overview of what we're going to be looking at in the book of Nehemiah. And the heart of what he shared was just how God used Nehemiah to impact a city. And that was the city of Jerusalem. Nehemiah had a specific job. He had a vision which God gave him. God laid a burden on his heart. Pierre spoke about the provision that God would give. We're going to learn some stuff from this man's life. Today I'm going to be preaching on verses 4 to 11 in chapter 1. So if you can turn in your Bibles there, I'm trusting that God's going to encourage you this morning. Father, thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for your word. God, thank you that your Holy Spirit would open hearts today. You've already started to minister to people through the music, Lord, and through the fellowship. And I pray, God, that your word would bring life to people this morning. Please use me as your vessel. God, help me to communicate clearly and to encourage people in Jesus' name. Folks, I want to encourage you that as you sit there today, please don't have the attitude of, feed me. You can worship God while you're sitting there. How do you do that? You can open your heart. You can open your ears. You can listen to what has been said. The Holy Spirit might be prompting you on certain things in your life, even as the word is spoken. It might not be very specific to the situation in your life, but allow God to minister to you this morning. Can we read together from verse four? As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And the news that Nehemiah had just heard, he had heard from some Jewish brothers that Jerusalem was in trouble. The walls had not been repaired. There was no security. There was no peace. There was disarray. This is the news that Nehemiah had just received. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love, with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing their sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. Verse seven, we have acted very corruptly against you And have not kept the commandments, the statutes, the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. And give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. And what is happening here is we see the nation of the Hebrews and the Jewish people moving back to Jerusalem. 
It's coming towards the end of their exile, and we've had three journeys that have gone back to Jerusalem. Zerubbabel, he was the first person who led the return to Jerusalem. Then we had Ezra. Zerubbabel, he basically went back to rebuild the temple. Ezra went to revive the people spiritually, and now Nehemiah was called to lead the third return back to Jerusalem from captivity. And I want to spend a little bit of time in verse 4. We're going to look at this prayer that Nehemiah has prayed. It can actually be a pattern to how we pray to our Heavenly Father. There's some elements out of this prayer that we can learn and help us in our personal devotion. But in verse 4, he said, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down, I wept, and I mourned. So he heard. He didn't just hear. He listened. He took a moment. He considered what was said. Jerusalem is in trouble. What are we going to do? Lord, what do you want us to do? He sat down. Do you know what the original meaning of that word means? To sit. That was a joke. He sat down. What do you do when you sit down? You, you take time to be still. You take time to think through something. He didn't just sit. He wept and he mourned. When was the last time you wept? I know some of the Bulls supporters were crying yesterday because their team lost. But when was the last time you wept? The Greek word for that speaks about bewailing, to weep continually. This man's heart was touched because of what was happening in Jerusalem. Nehemiah was heartbroken. This was the condition of his life. And despite his position in this Persian empire, and he had a great position, he had never ever forgotten the ancient city of Jerusalem where his fathers and grandfathers had come from. This was on his heart. Now, if you look at the time period from when Nehemiah heard the news from these brothers, and then it says that he prayed and he fasted for days. Do you know how long that was? It was about four months. That period from when he heard the news to when he went to speak to the king. Just imagine that time. What do you think he was doing? He prayed and he fasted for days. I don't think that he prayed and he fasted all day. I think he prayed and he fasted every day. I don't think there was ever a day when he didn't pray. Perhaps he did fast every day. Maybe it was just a meal. Some translations say that he prayed and he fasted certain days. And what that tells me about this man, Nehemiah, is that he had a lifestyle of prayer and fasting. He heard the news. He sat down. He took a moment to consider what was happening. Michelle shared about what she did the other day when she embraced inconvenience and she went back to, to help an individual. Well, about a month ago, we had got back from a long day. It was about 7 p.m., I think. There was no food in the house. And Mish went off to the grocery store to get supper. But it wasn't a quick 20-minute trip. It landed up being about an hour. We had grumpy kids at home. They were hungry. I was a little bit worried about why it was taking so long. Anyway, Mish got back, and I was like, is everything okay? She had had another moment where she encountered an individual who needed help. He needed a meal more than we needed a meal. And we gathered together as a family, and when Mish shared with us what she had done, she had helped an individual, got him a food, but she had shared the good news with him also. And while Michelle was sharing this with us, we as a family, we were not hungry anymore. 
We were celebrating because Mish took a moment to sit and she heard. How often are we faced with situations where we don't stop, we just keep walking, or we quickly drop something that can help someone, but we don't engage in the, the situation. Folks, we are called to impact our city. If you look at Somerset West, there are things that cause the Father's heart to weep and to mourn. And we need to be able to be the hands and the feet who will hear that agony and to respond to that. Smith's Wigglesworth, many of you have heard of him, the great preacher and, and minister of the gospel. He said, I don't often spend more than half an hour in prayer, but I never go more than half an hour without praying. Isn't that beautiful? Can I encourage you that as believers, we need to have a lifestyle of prayer and fasting. As a church, we fast twice a year, as a corporate fast, beginning in January and June. But please don't wait for those moments for you to fast. I hope that those are not the only moments where you fast. But think about it. When was the last time that you fasted? It doesn't have to be a massive fast. It could be a meal here. You could choose to say, hey, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that time that I would be eating to actually pray and intercede for something that is on the heart of the Father. I was chatting to Mark this week, and I never knew that that period that Nehemiah prayed and fasted for was as long as four months. And we spoke about the comparison to when Jesus went into the wilderness. So when Jesus, at the beginning of the, his ministry, he was baptized, and we read about how the Spirit of God came upon Jesus the Bible says in Luke 4 that he was full of the Holy Spirit and he was led by the Spirit into the desert. We know what happened there. He was tempted and he overcame the enemy with the word. Do you know what it says when he went back to Galilee? He was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. When we spend time in prayer and fasting, it's not because of the work that we're doing. It's because we're getting connected with the Heavenly Father. He empowers us. I don't just want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to be empowered. And then we read about the miracles that Jesus did. He's encouraging us to take moments in that hidden place. If we look at the life of Moses and David and Abraham, they all retreated. They all got into places of solitude and sought the Heavenly Father. So after all this time, I can imagine Nehemiah embracing what God was doing a plan began to form in his heart. I'm sure he started to get these thoughts and ideas of, okay, God, what do you want to do? The same God who laid Jerusalem on Nehemiah's heart wants to give you a God burden for your city. We will never, ever be able to receive this divine burden for our city as long as we continue to insulate ourselves from the pain around us. Folks, let's stop. Let's sit down. Let's hear what is happening in our city. Nehemiah was not burdened for Jerusalem until he heard the news. Are we listening out for the news? Like Nehemiah, you must progress from not just being burdened for our city, but to being broken. And the more time that we spend in prayer and fasting, I believe that we will get the heart of the Father. I believe there's certain things we won't get unless we do seek God in that manner. If I look at the life of Nehemiah, I don't think it was just for Jerusalem, the city, but for the cupbearer. I believe God was working in his life. Perhaps there were walls in his life which had collapsed. I heard a sermon many years ago when I was on campus, 
and the pastor was preaching on the life of David. And he spoke about four different walls that David needed to rebuild in his life. One of the walls was for people. It's important that we have people in our life. And it was at that time when David sinned. The Bible says that those that were closest to him, he sent out into battle. That wall came tumbling down in David's life. The second wall was the wall of purpose. The Bible says that in a season when kings went to war, David remained in the palace. He shouldn't have been there. The third wall was purity, just with regards to the sin that was in his life that came tumbling down. I think that Nehemiah, God was rebuilding walls in his life on a personal level. And Brian was ministering to us in song this morning. Brian had a sense this week also, just that God is coming to build up these walls, godly walls in our lives that will bring safety, that will bring peace, and that will bring protection to us. Perhaps Nehemiah felt insecure. Perhaps he felt, I can't do this. You want me to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem? How am I going to do this? Perhaps there was a, a pride in his life or a lack of faith. God wants to come and cut our lives. He wants to prune us because he wants us to bear much fruit in our lives. So looking at verse 5 through to 11, I want to look at six points for the life of Nehemiah. What can we observe? What is Nehemiah saying to us as he prays this prayer? The first point in verse 5 and 6 is he knows the person. Nehemiah knew the God that he was praying to. He refers to God as the great and awesome God. This morning in worship, I just sensed the incredible magnitude of how great and incredible God is. You can't even put words to that. I believe that Nehemiah experienced God in such an incredible way that he was left speechless at times. That word awesome means to fear. Now, you might think, okay, I don't really want to be scared of God, but that fear is like a reverence. But I believe that when we see God one day, we're going to drop to our knees because we're going to know how holy he is and how incredible he is. Nehemiah had an incredible respect for God. It goes on to say, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him, who preserves, who watches the covenant. God was a faithful God and Nehemiah knew that. Verse 6, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant. God was approachable. He can be spoken to. And I believe Nehemiah knew that. He knew that God heard his prayers. The character of God is the necessary basis for prayer. Knowing someone's character assists you in knowing how to approach that person. This week, I had one or two tough days. There was a bit of rubble around my life, and I was trying to rebuild some walls, and Mish hadn't seen me for most of the day. But when I got home, uh, we were busy with dinner and, uh, and homework, etc., etc. She came to me after about an hour, and she said, what's wrong? I'm like, what do you mean, what's wrong? I have, we haven't even spoken. How can you say there's something wrong? There was something wrong. She could see it in my countenance. She could just pick it up from me. But that's because she knows me. And as spouses, we know one another. You don't even have to speak words to each other, and you know what that person is like. That's the intimacy that God wants us to have with him. We need to know the character 
of God and the nature of God. Because you know what? I believe that if Nehemiah did not have that intimacy with the Heavenly Father, he would not have been able to sustain the work that needed to be done. The miracle of rebuilding that wall of Jerusalem would not have happened if he did not have that internalized knowing and understanding that God is a good God and that he loves him. The second point in verse 6 and 7, he knows the problem. Nehemiah knew what the problem was and he addressed the sin. He identifies with the people. He said, the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned. That's a, a bold thing to say because Nehemiah wasn't even part of that sin. He recognized that the commandments and the statutes and the, the rules that God had given to Moses, the people had disregarded. There was sin. They had left God. But he had taken ownership of the sin that the nation was involved with. If we think of our city, we could easily say, listen, we've got all these problems, but hey, that's not my mess to clean up. I wasn't a part of that when that went down. God wants us to have the heart where we embrace and identify those things that are wrong. He says that I and my father's house have sinned. And I don't believe it was just a quick, oh, well, you know, this was bad. Lord, forgive us for this. I think he, he wailed, he mourned, as we've read in Scripture, about what happened. And that's how much it impacted Nehemiah and how much he embraced it. We need to take responsibility. If, if I think of his personal life, perhaps there was sin in his life. And through that prayer and fasting, that God highlighted things in his life, he identified the problem. Sometimes God has to deal with sin in our lives before we can accomplish that which he has set aside for us. I'm not saying it's going to stop what God does in your walk, but there's a process along that journey that you're going to have to face those problems in your own life and in your own heart and allow Jesus in. Nehemiah is a type of Jesus. Allow Jesus into the city of your heart. Allow him to rebuild that rubble that is there. The third point is he knew the promise on which he pleaded. And that promise which we read in verse 9, he says, But if you return to me and keep my commandments and you do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I've chosen to make my name dwell there. Nehemiah is, is referring back to Deuteronomy 30, verse 1 to 10, where Moses was writing about the blessing and the curses. And here we know that Nehemiah is referring back to this promise. And in that portion that we've read, we read about how the people had rejected God. They were disobedient, but then he speaks about the promise. Let's not get tripped up by the sin that is in our life. There's a promise that God has given to us which will restore our lives. Nehemiah was expecting a favorable reply from God. This is the heart of the Father. He was wanting to gather the people from the four corners of the earth and bring them back into relationship with him. What is important to see here is that prayer is based on promises. Prayer takes hold of God's promises, turns them into petitions, and sends them back to God. How many promises does this book give us? How often do we make reference to that, folks, when we're faced with things in our lives? Is our first response to sit and to hear and to respond to what is, is in here? 
We have promises here. The fourth point is Nehemiah, he knew the past. And what I mean by this is he knew the history of the nation of Israel. In verse 10, he says, They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. He uses the word redemption. Now, Nehemiah was not referring to the redemption they were experiencing by moving from Babylon back to Jerusalem. He was most probably referring back to the great exodus from Egypt. I mean, can you imagine him? Those four months, he's praying, he's He's got his scrolls up on the wall. You know how they used to read their, their Bibles in scrolls? I've often wondered, what happens if you like a hundred scrolls into your reading and you want to go back to get a point that you remembered four days earlier? You'd have to scroll back for 30 minutes. Read and then, okay. I think to prevent that, I think Nehemiah put his scrolls up on his wall. So they were just out there and he would be reading them. And he would say, okay, God, look look what you did for the nation out of Egypt. And there were a million people there that you you brought back into the promised land. You brought them into the promised land. We are only 50,000. You can do this. This is easy peasy, easy peasy for you. But it was because of the promise and the past and because of what God had done in the nation already. It's as if when Nehemiah was praying, he was saying, look at what you've done already for the nation, God. Don't forget that. Would you have done all of that to leave us here in Babylon and to not return us back to Jerusalem? There's so many stories that could have encouraged Nehemiah. I'm sure he loved the story of David killing Goliath. The odds were against David, but because of the power of God in David's life, he was able to do what he did. The fifth point is that he knows the perspective. Verse 11 It says, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servants and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. And what I want to say on this is I believe Nehemiah had God's perspective on the situation. Nehemiah had to approach the king in order to do what he wanted to do, to leave That in itself could have completely stressed him out and stopped him in doing what he needed to do. But he refers to the king as this man. I believe he was looking from God's perspective. The king was just this man in God's sight. Nehemiah refers not only to his own prayer in this portion here, but he also talks about the prayer of your servants. I could have added another line in here but I thought I was getting too many peas. He knew the people. It wasn't just Nehemiah who prayed, but there were the prayers of your servants. There was a fellowship of intercession. I don't think Nehemiah was alone in his room at night when he prayed. I think there was a community of believers, and they were praying for Jerusalem. There may have been days when Nehemiah was, uh, was struggling, and he needed the community of people to encourage him to keep doing what he was doing. He he maybe said, hey, listen, there's going to come a day when I'm going to have to speak to the king. I'm feeling weak today. Won't you you come around me? Won't you encourage me? We need to be with a fellowship of people. And the sixth point is that he knew the providence. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. And what do I mean by that? When Nehemiah made this remark, He recognized 
that God's providence had been at work long before that moment. He was high up in civil service with access to the king, and therefore he was in a favorable position to seek God for the people of Judah. Isn't that amazing? All of this happened without his even knowledge. He had to speak to the king to be able to do what he did, and God providentially had organized for him to be the cupbearer. God has positioned you in places of influence. What are you going to do with that? Moses, when he spoke to God, he said, God, how am I going to do this? I, I can't do this. And God says to him, use what's in your hand. And it was at the time when he took his staff and he did his miracles. But God has put something in you, each and every one of our hands. We are cupbearers for our vocations, for our families. He's called us to be the Nehemiahs of this world. If I can share a story from my own life, just how God worked in such an incredible way. I was at the University of Stellenbosch and I studied a sports science degree. I always wanted to try get in for physiotherapy, but unfortunately I couldn't do that. So I did my honors in biokinetics and it's one year study, one year practical, and then boom, you're in the big bad world, find a job. And we were all kind of stressing because at that time, Biokinetics was a, a, a very new industry, and not many people knew what it was about. If you still don't know what it is, it's basically an exercise consultant. So in that year, I had actually got injured playing sports, and I went to see a physio, and the physio's name was Klaus, and he treated me, and I had to have quite a, a bit of therapy. But in that time, there was a relationship that grew between Klaus and myself. We landed up realizing we're in the same church together, and there, we did Bible school together, and there was an incredible relationship that, that grew there. Then Klaus left, and he started his own practice, and I think I was actually his first, his first client at his new practice. So that's how close I was to him. Halfway through that year, Klaus asked me, he said, hey, listen, would you like to earn a little bit of extra pocket money? I was like, yeah, sure, I'd love to do that. What do you need me to do? He says, I need someone to keep my practice clean. I'm like, okay, I need someone to sweep and wipe down and pack away. I was like, okay, listen, if I could get my hands on any cash at that time, it was, it was great. So at the end of every day, before the next morning, I would have to go in and just clean up the practice. And I... Rolled up the towels, I swept the floor, I cleaned whatever needed to be cleaned, all, all ready for him to go the next day. Then towards the end of that year, I went in on a Sunday to clean the practice. And while I was cleaning, I felt the Lord say to me, you're going to work with Klaus next year. And because at that time we were stressing a bit about uh, what was going to happen next year uh, as biokineticists. And I was like, no ways. There's no ways that this inexperienced biokineticist would work with someone like Klaus, the physio. So um, the next morning that I went in early to work, Klaus arrived early for, for uh, work, and we had a coffee together, and then he put his coffee down, and he looked at me, and he says, Rick, what are you doing next year? This was like a day later. I was like, uh, yeah, you know, we're looking for jobs. I say we because there were five or six of us that were, as biokineticists, looking. He said, how would you like to work with me? I was like, what? what? What did you say? He says, I would love you to work with me. I said, why? Why would you want 
I mean, you don't even know how good I am as a biokinesis. He says, it doesn't matter. Rick, I've, I've seen how you've cleaned my practice this year, and I want to work with someone like you. And I just, I was completely blown away. It caught me off guard. I was like, wow, this is incredible. And just in that moment of my life, I could see how God providentially just put me in a place. And it was a season of my life where I worked with him for two years. And it was incredible. And I want to encourage you, don't ever neglect the fact that God is providentially leading you in your life. If you've doubted that you are in the wrong place, you've just got to turn back to God and allow him to continue to speak to you and to encourage you in what you're doing. As I conclude this morning, I'm going to put all my points together. I'm going to read it out to you, just as a recap of what we've spoken about this morning. And also, it's, I've got all the P's together. This would have made Pierre really proud of me. Pierre, if you're listening to this, this is for you. So Nehemiah prayed in the palace. He knew the person that he prayed to. He knew the problem that he was dealing with. But he understood the promise on which he stood. He knew the past to which he could appeal to and remind God on. He understood the perspective of his situation from God's view. He had people around him who were in fellowship. He understood the providence of God, which he had, and God had positioned him in a place where he could use him. God prepared Nehemiah to move from the private place to the public place. And folks, that place in the palace must have been incredible for Nehemiah. In the palace, in relationship with God, but God does not want us to stay in the palace. He wants us to go to the people. And I'm going to say this morning that we are not a palace church. We are a people church. We need to be in the palace and have those moments where God ministers to us, but it's for one reason, and that is for other people. I pray that this week you would take some time if you're not part of a small group yet, please can you investigate that? We believe that the material that we're writing for small groups would further benefit you. And the way that we've compiled this entire series is that it includes a week get together with a small group to encourage you. So I want to encourage you to try to join a small group. But then during this week, won't you go and just look at those points in the life of Nehemiah and see where God is speaking to you, where he is encouraging you and where he can assist you in, in leaving the palace and moving into the public place where we can minister to people.